Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 417, chapter 62, CRISIS! The next morning, I made my way to Severin Lowe. <laughs> the next that morning. That was a really good Garrett. A really good Garrett, Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, Alice and I said that to each other a lot in the first three months of the pandemic. Anyway. <laughs> the next morning, I made my way to Sever and Lowe before the sun was up. I ate a hot breakfast of eggs and potatoes while I waited for an apothecary to open. When I was finished, I bought two more pints of cod liver oil and a few other oddments I hadn't thought of the day before. Then I walked the entire length of Tinnery Street, hoping to stumble onto Denna, despite the fact that it was far too early in the morning for her to be up and about. Wagons and farmers' carts vied for space on the cobbled streets. Ambitious beggars were laying claim to the busiest corners, while shopkeepers hung out their shingles and threw wide their shutters. I counted 23 inns and boarding houses on Tinnery Street. After making note of the ones Denna would probably find appealing, I forced myself back to the mayor's estates. This time, I took the freight lifts, partly to confuse anyone following me, but also because the purse the mayor had given me was nearly empty. Since I needed to keep a normal face on things, I remained in my rooms, waiting for the mayor to send for me. I sent my card and ring to Brayden, and soon he was sitting across from me, thrashing me at tack and telling stories. So the mayor had him hung in a gibbet! right alongside the eastern gate, hung here for days, howling and cursing, saying he was innocent, saying it wasn't right, and how he wanted a trial. I couldn't quite bring myself to believe it. A gibbet? Braden nodded seriously. An actual iron gibbet. Who knows where he managed to find one in this day and age? It was like something out of a play. I searched for something relatively non-committal to say. While it did sound grotesque, I also knew better than to openly criticize the mayor. Well, I said, banditry is a terrible thing. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. And let's not kid ourselves. He rode the horse lifts because he was hoping to bump into Denna again. He didn't ride the horse lift. He rode the freight lift. You know what I mean. But she rode the horse lift. So he, if he was hoping to oh. bump into Denna again, he would have ridden that one. Aren't those the freight lifts? No, there's three lifts. There's the stairs, there's the freight lifts, there's the horse lifts. I mean, that's two lifts. You're two lifts. I'm just saying, stairs aren't a lift. <laughs> yes, they are. Hey, you know what? He's got you there. No, he doesn't. That, that's a lie. Stairs are not a lift. They're a human, no, they are. They're a human lift. G- g- no. Whatever. Human power. Continue with your point. Was there a point? <laughs> I don't know. I there wasn't a point anymore. Uh, I have a point, though. <laughs> and I'm going to start on the bottom of the page, which is that a gibbet or a gibbet. I'm actually not sure. It's That's one of those words that I hardly ever hear spoken aloud. Um, but the implication here is that the mayor punished a bandit to get him to talk by hanging him in a gibbet from the wall. And that even by the standards of Vint which is kind of backwards and superstitious compared to other places in Tamarant, this is considered a, like, barbaric, antiquated punishment. Because, like, Braden's like, you know, I can't believe he did that in this day and age. Where did he even find one? So, like, they can't be in much common use. It's like he had to haul it out of a museum or something. Which tells us something about 
how the mayor feels about crime in his domain. And also, I think it's like meant to give us a little frisson because Foth can expect that if the mayor, he finds himself in the mayor's bad graces and or if he has perhaps uh, accused of killing the mayor, that he might find himself in a gibbet or a gibbet. Yes, and I also can't help but wonder if this is meant to speak to the mayor's sense of theatricality uh, and like old schooledness. We know that eventually we we learn that he does love the Amir and like the old stories and things like that. So this might be sort of like his, a call out to his, you know, his older sensibilities. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a nerd, a- is what I'm saying. He he's <laughs> a nerd. Well, the mayor just understands that theatricality and deception are powerful. So wait, weapons. does the guy who was in the gibbet does does he die, or did they just leave him in a gibbet for a while? Unclear, but because uh, like normally people who are left in gibbets die, is my understanding. Yeah, I think generally that you leave them out there until they like starve just, to death or dehydrate. Yeah, and then to be eaten by crows. Um. And the whole point is that it's meant to be a an example. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone can look at the person in the gibbet and go, boy, I hope that's not me someday. Or I guess if you're like into that kind of thing, God, I wish that were me. But, <laughs> you know. That is a whole nother kind of kink. <laughs> um, and then we also get the detail that Quoth kind of loiters around the neighborhood that Denna told him he was... Uh, she was staying in on the off chance that he's going to bump into her, which he like has definitely done before in Imra. But it, it does strike me as a little extra foolhardy in like a city that he barely knows that has, as he points out, like over 20 different possible inns and boarding houses. And she could be staying in any one of them. Like his odds are pretty long, but this is always what he's done, right? He always, when he's dimly aware that Denna's around, he just sort of wanders around and hoping he bumps into her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's yeah. probably hoping to bump into him too. And if they're and both she... trying. Yeah, totally. She did say, come and find me here. But she she could not be more specific and say what inn she was staying at, which would have really helped him out. Maybe it's the inn with no name. Or maybe she wants him to come looking, but doesn't necessarily want him to be able to find her that easily. Well, that's just cruel. I mean, I think that it has been pointed out before that it's possible that Denna, part of their relationship is that Denna likes the chase. Like, Denna likes the game of cat and mouse they play. Mm, I see. Fine. Reasonable. I don't have much on this page, to be honest. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm all good. Well, then why don't we read another letter? Mailbag. This is from the Devil and Daniel yet again. And this time, the that terrible duo write, uh, Page of the Wind, two for one. Hi, Nick, Jordana, and Jeremy. As has become the norm, I'm very impressed by the consistency and quality of your podcast. Keep up Aww. the great work. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Regarding your pawn shop dispute in episode slash page 361, Nick and Jeremy are both right, though I'm inclined to say Nick is more right. Here are two examples from King Killer Chronicle. One, Quoth pawns rhetoric and logic prior to his trip from Tarbine to the university. Two, Quoth pawns his loot upon arrival in Severin. In both cases, Quoth has the opportunity to buy back these items within a predetermined period of time. 
Pawn shops are essentially short-term loan facilitators using material possessions as collateral. Someone in need of quick cash pawns an item for a fraction of its actual value. They are given X amount of time to pay back the principal before the item is forfeit, and the pawn shop makes it available for sale at its actual or perceived value. In Kin Killer Chronicle, Rothis refers to the written agreement as a span note. To Jeremy's credit, I'm fairly certain that not all items sold to a pawn shop are done with the intention of reclaiming the possession. In this way, pawn shops can also act as thrift shops or secondhand stores. That said, the distinguishing feature of a pawn shop is the ability to reclaim your possession, hence why I believe Nick is more correct. Regarding the fan theory discussed in episode slash page 363, namely that the townsfolk of nowhere know Koji's quoth, I think this is a relatively poor theory and was surprised to hear you give it as much credence as you did. There are many reasons why I don't put much stock in this theory. Here are two. One, if Quoth's story is to be believed, people have spoken about him as a nearly mythical character since his start at the university, raining down fire and lightning on the muggers, his actions in Trebin, saving Fella from the fire, saving Denar with the name of the wind, uh, etc. This is in keeping with how the townsfolk of nowhere talk about Quoth in the present day. Two, when Quoth reveals himself to the smith's apprentice, uh, Aaron, Aaron laughs at him in total disbelief. I believe Aaron was authentic in his not believing Kota's quoth, and this is not some elaborate ploy. It being a small town, and with townsfolk gossiping as we've been led to believe they do, I don't believe it would be possible for Co- Cobb et al. to know Kota's true identity and for Aaron not to. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Best, Daniel. P.S. Keep the social commentary coming. It's almost as good as your analysis of the Kingkiller Chronicle. Very proud to see how you represent Toronto specifically, and humanity more generally. As Tempe would say... Uh, no speaking emoji, fist emoji, proud. What does that even mean? It's, it's, I, uh, I, I, it's Lathani speaking. I really like this. Yeah, I really like this uh, equating Lathani or, um, Adem, Ademic to, uh, to emojis. I think we should do more of that. And the Adem are clearly trendsetters. They invented emojis before, uh, anybody else? Uh, uh sure. I think that, okay. uh, you raised some really, uh, correct and salient points in your letter and i can find nothing to dispute them i do think that nick was ultimately more right than i was about the nature of pawn shops uh and i also like don't really believe that anyone in town really knows who quoth is yes uh as far as giving as much credence as we do to things uh sometimes you know uh to quote a great man uh donald rumsfeld the general goes to war with the army he's got and well this is the army i've got so sometimes uh things go off the rails and i just have to let it happen so well, sometimes uh, we just get confused <laughs> by like a wacky idea like cod liver oil <laughs> <laughs> having second thoughts are you <laughs> <laughs> listeners tune in this sunday for the uh, the codicus challenge is this gonna air the, the right week <laughs> uh-huh. oh boy. every sunday jordana we'll do it every sunday just in uh, case definitely we listen to it if someone listens to it don't worry listeners if you listen to the, this episode years down the line you can trust that this coming sunday <laughs> we will put jordana in front of the computer and make her drink a pint of cod liver oil also listeners i urge you to continue writing in to tell us how great our podcast is and also how correct i am and how incorrect jeremy is i think you were very tactful uh in your way of saying that jeremy is wrong and dumb uh and i urge you to be less tactful in the future <laughs> Listeners, you know what to do. It's whatever the opposite of Nick says. <laughs> Jordana, you can't just drink one pint of cod liver oil. You gotta drink at least at least five, at least one one for five days. Jeremy, one does not simply drink a pint of cod liver oil. No, one doesn't, but you do. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
and uh, you can find the gory results of that on tomorrow's page. Of uh, the win. win. win.